It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Before there was imdb.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies, and even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Dustin, are you ready to start martial arts madness with a bang? Yes, I'm so ready. I've been waiting for martial arts uh, madness for, well, since the last time we had it. This is my favorite time of the year, for sure. It is it is absolutely my favorite time as well. Um, we always jam pack it, which is great. It's like the one month where like we just have something every week. We just... Who, who, who else do we have? What else do we have? Today, I'm, I'm super... I'm super super fucking pump. i'm gonna curse i'm just gonna uh uh special guest we haven't introduced you yet but you can curse feel free to lay it all out there yes special um, guest it's not the unknown comic by the way i just want to say oh that's good guest. that's good to explain that i'm sure a lot of people f- assumed it was being that you've been you've never mentioned the unknown comic in your life no like people that. now are like whoa that's yeah. deep that's a deep cut yeah um we are we are doing we're kicking off martial arts with the with a discussion of our favorite karate kid moments from the karate kid legacy one two and three we're not going to be talking about cobra kai we're not going to be talking which we love or mixed emotions on death and zen but i love um the video game the cartoon the toys by remco uh we're not going to get into all that but we are going to talk about karate kid 
or one, Hillary two, Swank. Three. We're not mentioning Hillary oh, yeah. Swank today. Or or Jaden Smith and all or, that good no, stuff. No, we're not. Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah, that's no yeah. disrespect. No, no disrespect. But... A lot of disrespect, actually. <laughs> Tons of disrespect. Massive amounts. The guest we're having on today is is very special in our opinion. Um, he's the director of King of the Underdogs. It's the story of John G. Adelson, and he is the director of the documentary. Derek Wayne Johnson, thank you so much for being on $2 Late Fee. Thank you for having me. And I, I brought my $2 just Good. in case. Did you bring your punch card? Because you get yeah. a free movie with a punch card. Exactly. Uh, hey, thanks for having me, guys. This is really cool. I, I, I'm really excited to be here today. This is awesome. It's, it's great to have you. Uh, the documentary um, came out a few years ago. I just recently watched it. I feel like, Zach, you were at the premiere. Is that correct? I was at the premiere. You were at, you were I wish. You were at uh, but uh, but the documentary, it's it's phenomenal, dude. Like, and I'm not just saying that. Like, you really, uh, John G. Avildsen is one of these guys, very prolific director, coming up through the '80s, and yet, and the documentary really hits this nail on the head right away. It's like when people are asked who directed Rocky, who directed Karate Kid, no one knows he's one of those guys he's just kind of he just kind of fell off and was he, and then and then as you start to unravel his career you're like oh man this dude has like directed everything like the power of one i can't even tell you how much i love that movie Ditto. yeah you know like totally it's like one of those movies that's been in my subconscious for like ever and i don't think about it and then i'm like oh man that movie's amazing and daniel craig's first role anyway i'm rambling but just to say uh, really phenomenal job in introducing the world to the king of the underdogs. Well, I appreciate that. And that was the whole idea behind the film. As you said, it starts out with that question. Because I remember as a kid, when I made the connection pre-internet, pre-IMDB, it was simply going, wait, that name right there, that's on Rocky. You know, that weird name with the G in the middle, like that, hold on, this is the same guy? Yeah. And I mean, I'm a little kid putting the VHS tapes in going, whoa, hold on. Because, you know, we grew up with Spielberg and Lucas and all these wonderful guys. And like, hold on, this guy made these equally amazing films. Yep. And so that's kind of like what the whole premise was. And um, and so, yeah, and I'm glad that you guys liked the doc. It was certainly a crazy, crazy experience. I, I mean, it changed my whole career making that movie. So I'm very happy that almost five years on since its release, maybe four and a half that like people still want to talk about it. So thank you. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it wasn't just the fact that we do this theme every year of, of martial art movies, but we had wanted to have you on because we haven't really discussed karate kid, uh, its legacy on our show. And when I sat down and watched your doc a couple of years back for the first time, I was like, you know, I, of course, Dustin and I both worked at video stores and we're very well versed on our movie knowledge, but it hits the nail on the head with a lot of audiences today. I think a lot of people might assume that Rocky one was directed by Sylvester Stallone because he did all the other ones subsequently, except for Rocky five. And that's understandable, you know, and then Karate Kid is is so well known, especially by today's younger audience because because of Cobra Kai. But the stars are always looked at and go, oh, yeah. Ralph Macchio, Pat Morita, you know, William Zabka, but the director just kind of gets pushed by the wayside. And Dustin and I had on um, the director of Revenge of the Nerds, 
Mangacha a while back. And he, it was one of those things too, where you're like, look, these guys are so talented and they came up with such a brilliant concept. And we need to remind today's audiences, yesterday's audience that might've forgotten who these guys are because John G. Appleton, yeah, he is, should be held in that same regard. Dustin and I share the same love of Power of One. It's like I, that movie was transformative for me as a kid. And I remember seeing his name on it and automatically thought, oh, that's going to be a good movie because John G. Appleton did it versus, oh, it's got Morgan Freeman and Stephen Dorff. And I like those guys, you know. Uh, so it, it's cool to have you on the show. I can imagine that it was a daunting process to make this documentary because you have on the doc, you have so many interviews with so many notable people like Sylvester Stallone and Ralph Macchio and, 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 and Carl Weathers, for example, um, you know, Jack Lemon, that's, a, you know, it's just, obviously you didn't interview him, but you've got a snippet of him uh, in, in a very important piece on the doc. But how long did it take to, to finally make the, the whole thing? Oh, man, it took it, it. OK, so we it took about a year and a half until we first screened it. But then it took another year and a half to get distribution. And part of that was because of John. John was, in, you know, rest in peace. He passed away a month and a half before the, the film came out, but he saw it a gazillion times. Oh, man. But he was such a perfectionist. Like he, I would go to his house and we would play it, play it, play it. And we would stop every 10 seconds and he'd have a note. I mean, he oh, probably gave me a God. thousand notes. Oh God! It, it was insane, but like in the best way possible. And oh, we would God. fight and we would argue yeah. and then we would cry and we would laugh. We had this. It, so it took a while to get it to make him happy. And but I mean, guys, he had so much footage, home video footage, home movies digitized that he gave me wow. that, you know, no wonder it took three years. Yeah. I mean, I had to go through so much stuff. But to do it with him in his house was so cool. Uh, you know, even seeing things that I wasn't supposed to see, home movies, not that kind of home movie. <laughs> but like things that like, oh, that's not going in. And you know, uh -huh. things it was just it was just a cool experience. So it took took three years, but really a year and a half. Um, but you know, you mentioned like power of one and stuff like that. Obviously, when I talk about King of the Underdogs and John, I all of there's so many stories and so many anecdotes of making the film before, during, since you mentioned Dorf, like <laughs> he told me uh, that he was just at a party, like the night or a couple weeks or so before I interviewed him. And like someone had the CD the, the, of the power of one in their car, the soundtrack, yeah. the soundtrack. And they're oh like, my God. come listen to it. So he like went to this guy's car <laughs> oh and like, played it for like, that's awesome. He, people love that movie. But That's, again, that soundtrack you, is great, by the way. That soundtrack is amazing. Great soundtrack. Hans yep. Zimmer. Yep. Wonderful soundtrack. But it, again, as John put it, uh, he said something, he'd always say a joke like, people just didn't want to go out on a Friday night to watch a movie about apartheid. So yeah, he's, yeah. It, 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 it bombed. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that's the long answer to a quick question was how long did it take? Three years. How did you develop a relationship with John? Man, so obviously he was my hero, my filmmaking influence. His movies are my movies, right? So I was about to shoot a feature film, and I would always, before I do a movie, I get on YouTube and I just start looking at directors' interviews. I've come across one on John Avildsen from like 1988. 
So I'm watching it and I look at the, the username or whatever it's called of the YouTube page. And it said, and you can look it up still there, Avilton 1221. I said, wow, someone's a big Avilton fan. They even have his <laughs> name and his birthday. I clicked on it and it started, I started realizing like, this is John Avilton page, which wow. we all famously know he has all of the Karate Kid uh, rehearsals on it. Yep. So I sent him a message through YouTube and I don't know if you can still do that, but at the time you could, this was 10 years ago, 2012. He emailed me back to my regular email. Cause I, you know, left my information and we just, it literally, his email to me was, yo, Derek, what can I do for you? <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm like, well, there's a lot you can do for me. Yeah. So we just started a rapport and I offered him a couple of scripts. He turned them down. Like there was so many crazy things that happened. And then finally, I wasn't living in LA at the time, but I flew out to meet him like six months later. And we sat for like three and a half hours and I picked his brain. We had the most wonderful conversation. We shed a tear together mm. uh, over a wonderful scene, which I'm sure will get brought up today in one of his movies, which I won't say yet, <laughs> um, but I will tell that story when it gets brought up. And it was just this amazing like friendship that we started. Mm. And of course I felt like Daniel. And of course he felt like Miyagi. And for five years, the last five years of his life, he was my friend and he was my mentor. And three of those years, I made a movie about it. That's wonderful. That is. I feel, I, I wish that somebody had been making a documentary on your relationship with him Yeah. while you were making the documentary on him. Some of the producers actually suggested that and I declined hmm. because I didn't want it to look like I was ingesting myself into or injecting myself into the documentary about him looking back. I agree with you. I, I, I kind of wish we would have had another camera rolling on that. Um, that's unfortunate. You can write a book. It could be like the next Tuesdays with Maury or whatever. Uh, <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, it's so many stories, so many stories. I, I think, I think one thing that it, it, it's minor on one level, but I think it's important to, to recognize your documentary is like about 70 minutes long and that's, a good thing. I think sometimes these things can get like way too much info or things that maybe aren't as important. It would be an extra on a DVD, you know, which is totally fine, but it's so tight and the pacing is nice. And, and you really dig so deep on, on so many levels at a really nice, like I said, at a really nice pace. Um, one thing that stood out that I don't want to give too much away because we want everyone to go out and check out your doc, obviously. Um, but he tells a story, you know, oftentimes uh, we talk about regrets or not having regrets or just being happy with the life we've lived, blah, blah, blah. And he talks about regrets. He talks about one specific regret and in, in, in not being able to make Serpico, the, the, the film Serpico and his relationship with the actual cop <laughs> And that's a wild story. I don't want to get too into it. I just want to kind of tease that. Were, were there things that were left off the, the cutting room floor that you're like, oh, this is really good. or I'm going to save this for the Blu-ray or whatever. Well, there's a couple of stories to that. One of the reasons why it went from 90 minutes to I think it's 78. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, or 73 something was because of John. I showed him the rough cut, which was 90 he laughs, he cries, he's emotional. 
And I showed Karate Kid 3, which you notice is left out in the dock. And I yeah. showed this flop and that flop and uh, eight seconds. And I had everything pretty much documented, guys. Like, mm-hmm. John goes, eh, you know, it's like 90 <laughs> minutes, man. You might want to take 30 minutes of this shit out. I mean, I'm not <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. No one wants to watch 90 minutes of me. Oh Abraham God. Lincoln. I was like who says to take more out of the story about them? Yeah. So I was like, he really is all about the story. It's not about him. And then something I do regret that I should have fought him on is he, he had me cut karate kid three and all the, he calls them turkeys. Uh He's like, take all the turkeys out. And looking back, like, you know, I wish we would have kept him in because some of the criticism of the film is, you're only highlighting the, the the big movies. Why don't you talk about his stinkers? And it's like, yeah, you're right. I should have kept those in. But that's why it's kind of tight and condensed. Because um, John was just, he was just adamant. He's like, I don't want 90 minutes of me. So, Well, right. that's a tricky situation, having a relationship with the person you're making the doc about. However, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I understand that kind of, that that criticism, so to speak. But I think there's enough in there where people, again, will go, I didn't know that. I didn't know this. I mean, my list of notes of things that I wrote down, I was like, I had no idea uh, the motivation behind certain scenes in Karate Kid or or in Rocky. Brilliant. And I think you touch enough where people will go, oh, I want to rewatch this. You know, I want to rewatch Joe. (laughs) Sincerely. Yeah, that's a that's a damn good movie. you know, we, we obviously champion a lot of his movies. And I think that's how our relationship started because I made a birthday collage post on our Instagram and you're like, Oh, this is really cool. Thanks guys. And we're like, wait, we're big fans of your doc. So there you go. (laughs) Bingo, bango. Um, But again, I think it's, it's great that you did cut that, but, but that can be challenging when you're, when you're working, when you're making a film about a person you've become friends with. Yeah. And, you know, the same thing, I made a film on Frank Stallone, who was a pal and it, kind of the same thing there is like you're treading the you want to make them happy, but you also have to talk about the dirt. And both films, I do regret not digging into the dirt. But I got to say something real quick, though. You mentioned Serpico. When I went to interview Frank Serpico, he was wearing an original Karate Kid headband that John gave him. <laughs> badass. I had him take it off. That is so but, silly. He was just like, what's up, guys? And I was like, is that a, he goes, yeah, it's real. I was like, let me touch it. But anyway, um, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, 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 there's a lot of cool, interesting stuff in there that even I didn't know until, you know, doing this movie. Like uh, when I, when John was hard to, to get to know, you had to like get a crowbar and start prying away. But once he warmed up to you, he would just, let all of these stories out. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the regrets and getting fired from this, getting fired from that. And you also see in the film to Sylvester's credit, to Ralph's credit, et cetera, Robert came in, Jerry Weintraub, you start seeing that they, he starts getting the credit that he's due yeah. for certain scenes, for certain outcomes of the, of the movie. He is a director that got, um, I guess he got put in the shadows by his own product. Yeah. And therefore, interesting. People didn't know him. And uh, yeah, I will say this 
I, I witnessed this. I'll never forget as long as I live. We were hanging out at the his, – his favorite place was the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Always met there. He never paid. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> of course. Hey, John's a smart man. Yeah. You know? yeah. Millionaires are millionaires because they don't spend money. Yeah. Um, so, so we met at the Polo Lounge, and this was before we started production on the documentary. And probably six months before or so. And I said, John, what is it like to know that your films change the world? And he laughed. He was very humble. And he goes, ah, I'll show you. Uh, there's, you know, waiters walking around and we're out on the patio. And he's like, ah, excuse me, sir. A young waiter, probably just say 28 years old. I, I used to remember his name. Now I can't remember. He walks by and goes, yes, sir. And John goes, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, what do you think of when you hear wax on, wax off? Without hesitation, the waiter goes, the karate kid, of course. And John goes, thanks. And I go, whoa, whoa John, you got to tell him why you asked that. That's kind of weird. And John goes, oh, I, I directed that. The, the kid flipped out. Right. Yeah. Like he was, he just freaked out. Yeah. And, and, and he finally walked away and John looks at me and he goes, you see, I can go anywhere in the world and I can ask that question. They don't know my name, but they know my movies. Mm, of course. And wow, that just, it was a light bulb moment for me. It was like, we got to tell this guy's story. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, speaking of things like that aren't said, because you sort of touched upon that. Why do you think you sort of mentioned this in the documentary? But why do you think John was not more successful beyond the mid 90s? Is it because he was more difficult? Do you, do you can you touch on that? Sure. He definitely was difficult. He uh, when he had a, an opinion, he stuck to it. As a matter of fact, it's one thing being my mentors, he said, stick to your convictions and your opinions. He just kind of started having as he, again, as he put it, a Turkey after a Turkey, after a Turkey. I mean, you got to look at his, his ending streak, karate kid, three tanked, Rocky five tanked. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he just wasn't putting out the hits. So the studios kind of just stopped calling, but also John, he didn't ever have a publicist. He never promoted himself. He always said, if they, they have my phone number, they'll call me if they want me. Mm, yeah. Well, that's the game. You know, that, yeah, he, he didn't play the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that hurt him in the end. And I think he was hurt by that. And I think that this documentary in the, at the end of his life really rejuvenated his spirits about the impact he did have early on. You have a clip of him with Jean-Claude Van Damme making the movie Inferno, I think it's called. Or was it called Desert Heat? Did it have different, it multiple names or something? Yeah, it had a couple names, yeah. It had like three names. <laughs> was that the one he was adamant? Do not put that one in the documentary. He definitely had me take that out as well. Um, now, look, I, I'm not throwing uh, John under the bus here, no. but it, it, he, he did, he was very sentimental and... He, he didn't want to really talk about that one. You know, as you know, he took his name off of the film. Yeah. And he just, it, he wanted it. He had a whole different idea for the film, but he didn't have Final Cut. So uh-huh. I won't say who had Final Cut, but uh-huh. it wasn't John. And yeah, it kind of uh, rubbed him the wrong way. And unfortunately that happened. But um, I will say this though about, kind of having me remove things 
it actually changed the dynamic of the film, of the documentary. I think it's okay having a movie that just highlights the things. I mean, it's called King of the Underdogs. It's about, you know, there's the master of suspense. There's the king of rock and roll, the king of pop. He's the king of the underdog film, I think. So I think we did highlight those particular movies. I think that's okay. I'm going to piggyback on what you just said, and it and it kind of segues into talking about the Karate Kid franchise because people do love dirt nowadays. People love to troll. People love to the negativity permeates right in our society, and one of the things that Dustin and I try to focus on or highlight at least is the positives because there is plenty of negative out there if you dig deep enough. There was a time when we didn't know all the negative stuff that we know now. And, and that's the nostalgic time that we love, right? Because it was like, oh, that, you know, we didn't know too much about this actor. And now we do. And we're like, well, can we really like his movies anymore? Or we do, do we just like that character in the movies, right? And so I, I think that's great. I think there's going to be plenty of times for people to bash things. And so let's, let's, let's make something that makes us feel good. Because at the end of the day, his movies made us feel good. Karate Kid makes you feel good. Rocky makes you feel good. I remember when I went to the the Philadelphia the steps in Philadelphia for the first time and uh, they had moved the statue. But I remember just being there and feeling like I heard the music immediately. Gonna Fly Now by Bill Conti, like kicking my, my mind. And this kind of fits so well in with his body of work that feel good at the end of the, there are ups and downs and there are moments in this that you touch upon that make you feel like, oh man, that is a regret or, oh, that was a bummer that that happened. Or, but then at the end of the day, you go, I'm so glad I watched this doc about a, a guy that many people have forgotten about. So kudos to you and bravo to you for doing that. Well, thank you for saying that. I think that it's certainly, as I'm getting older and more experienced, I'm looking back and going, well, you know, I wish I would have had a little bit more of the dirt, you know, but to your point, you're so right. It's a documentary. If I step aside as the director, it's a documentary that just makes you feel good. Like you said, his movies makes you feel good. It, it just, it's a positive documentary. It's a positive experience. And as he always did, he would end on the high note, the freeze frame of Rocky in the ring, the freeze frame of Miyagi. That's kind of like how we wanted to button up his career is like that freeze frame of just, ah, you know, so thank you, John Avildsen, for giving us those movies. We could always go watch a depressing film if we want. I mean, they're there, but, yeah, you know, it, I mean, who doesn't, you know, the, the hair on the back of your neck, does it not stand up every time Daniel does this? Every time. Right. Every single time, multiple times. If you just play it, play it, play it, it's going to do that to you. And that's John, to John's credit, man. To be clear, only in the first movie. Does you, does yes. that <laughs> hey you want to talk about regrets Let's, right part two when he does it i'm like no no no, no. Uh, that's a sweet moment too but uh i i just but he's doing ask, it in the place where it was invented presumably. Right, like yeah i, I yeah. do want to ask one more question before we get into the the meat of the issue watching your doc made me made me think because karate kid and rocky both do it uh, the second movie and the third, they always take place right after the, the, the previous one. And obviously Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone directed, you know, two, three, and four. Um, do you think that Abelson influenced him or was it the other way around? 
with with having that kind of ending like start where we you know start the the second one where we left off with the first you know i don't know i've i've thought about it and i never asked john uh, obviously as you said rocky 2 came out before the karate kid even was thought of so yeah you know clearly sly uh did it first and of course john turned down rocky 2 which he regretted so i it it I don't know. I mean, it, in the order of things, it must have been sly. Uh, but it is interesting how they parallel like they do. And yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know who who inspired who on that one. Not only that, it's like it's like it's not even just that they run in. It's like he's also the king of the previously on. And certainly as it relates to Karate Kid, because you're like, you know, presumably you have to know that some of the people seeing this movie have not seen the first one. That's not how I would do it, but like, you know, all right, I'm going to, I'm watching two. I haven't seen one. You, you, you learn enough. So you're like, Oh, I don't need to see what, like, I know what yeah. I need to know that leads me to this point about Miyagi's father or two, two running into three about crease. And I think that that's just really interesting as well. Cause it's not like just we're, we're picking up, but we're also filling in the dots for you, the viewer. Yeah, regrettably, I, I I wish I would have asked him because that's been a burning question on my mind since I was a kid. And it's just one of those things I, I wish I just would, one day would have been like, hey, John, about that. And I just <laughs> I just never did. I just wonder if he and Sly were having a conversation, you know, offset or something, discussing a potential sequel and how it would go down. And I wonder it, it's it's like that fantasy play. You know, I wonder if they're sitting around and John's like what if we started it like this? Or what if Sly's like, yeah, what if we started like this? You know? Try to be best, cause you're only a man And a man's got to learn to take it Try to believe, though the going gets rough That you gotta hang tough to make it History repeats itself Try and you succeed Never doubt that you're the one We're going we're gonna to just get into it. We're going to talk about our top five Karate Kid moments. And before anyone, uh, before we have anybody later on the show go, well, you we didn't discuss this. These are our personal top five moments. We will each go in order one at a time, revealing our, our, our favorite moments in order, out of order. It depends. And if we overlap, we will each have a backup of some sort. Uh, and we'll just see what our personal top five moments are from the Karate Kid legacy. Could it be one from each movie? Could it be all from one movie? We'll find out. <laughs> and then after we do, we're going to do a little bit more uh, deep diving into the Karate Kid franchise. But uh, Derek, why don't you start us off with your number five Karate Kid moment of all time? Okay, so I'm a list man, and I wrote them <laughs> down. Totally Good. prepared. Good. Um, number, f- I, 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 so I wasn't sure of the rules, even though you explained them to me beforehand, which I appreciate. <laughs> so I didn't know if I did five from each, or which would be 15, or just five. But if I had my fifth moment, I guess. It's five overall, would, is what we're saying. Five, five overall, okay. 
So I did a little too much homework. It would be like 90 minutes, like, like you cutting down from 90 to 78. If we did your top 15, then, you know, we'd have to cut yeah. down as well. So be like, whoa, Derek, stop it. Yeah. Stop oh, no, you're, you're going to list off all 15 and we'll just cut out uh, <laughs> all right. 10 of them. <laughs> we'll just, uh, I, hear uh, well, I would say, um, okay, to go from five down to one, I would have to go with, give me a second. Um, Mm-hmm. Let's see what you've done here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay, guys, there's like this ah, this moment in Karate Kid 2. Mm. I'm, I'm about to geek out. Yeah. In Karate please. Kid 2, when Sato looks at Daniel as he's breathing, when he's about to break the ice, oh. the way John shot it, he goes through Daniel and it just holds on Sato. Now, Chosen and Kumiko, and, and they're all in the moment. The bar, the music, everything's, it's the Moody, Moody Blues song is playing. Compliments to Jerry Weintraub as he managed them. All this crazy <laughs> stuff is happening, except Sato knows. Oh, man, getting the chills. I love Sato it. knows that this is for real. Mm-hmm. Chosen is just, Sato, it's that moment where he goes, I know what's happening here. This is real. And it, to me, it's just, it, it, it's just a simple couple second shot. Yep. And it says everything that you need to know about his history with Miyagi and where he is at. Probably forgotten a bit of this as he's become this villain. So as a kid, to this day, I get chills that one shot. So yeah, Sato looking at Daniel about to break the ice. That's fantastic. I I love that like everyone in that bar is just a, a douchey American for some reason. Yeah. It's yeah. just like the most douchey <laughs> douchey things and then Daniel's like, "No, you got to use your hip." He's like explaining it. <laughs> he's yeah, just talking good. shit, man. He's like he's, yeah. he's Daniel's always like running yeah. in his mouth. Running in his mouth. Like, Fucking yeah. Daniel. Yep. To the girl. He is running his mouth, you know, and I think that sometimes people forget, especially fans of Cobra Kai now, where they're like, huh, he's kind of a dick. He was always kind of a dick in his own way, but understandably so. Um, I mean, we talked about this in a previous episode. I, I moved out to California in 84 and I was a kid, uh, you know, eight years old at the time, obviously not a teenager, but I can only imagine single mom moving out to California. It's got to be hard for him. Um, that scene though, gave me chills too. that breathing technique that he does is something I do with my own son now to calm him down or, you know, or or to focus. We went through a phase, a karate kid phase where he was obsessed with karate kid. And, um, you have buddy break ice cubes. We didn't break ice. ice, uh... (laughs) We didn't break the ice, but, um, man, that, that scene is great. So nice, nice choice. Nice choice. Dustin, you're up with number five. You're five. So my, my number five is really random. Uh, and it was one of those things that was in my mind and I had forgotten about it, but I, I really love it um, for a variety of reasons. But in Karate Kid 3, when Daniel is prepping for his date with uh, Robin Lively and he gets out of the shower and he is for some reason just singing this Hawaiian song that goes on for fucking ever he's like no 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 meanwhile terry silver's like sneaking into his house you know but 
I was like, what a weird, what a weird choice. And I didn't know if he was like, you know, direct, what, what can we just, what's a cleared song that we can just like, you can just public domain thing that you can just hum on for forever or, you know, or what, but he's like, this is a guy who's been singing this song for, I don't know, like three and a half minutes straight. And there's nothing to it. It doesn't go beyond. Nah, 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 nah. So um, I don't know, Derek, maybe you can shine some light on that moment. Um, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> that's your top I mean, five. That's top I love five. that. That's, yeah, I love that. That's yeah. in a top five. I mean, <laughs> I'm just laughing over here because that's so random and awesome. Yeah. Um, I have nothing to, no light to <laughs> shed on that one. It's just, God bless Karate Kid 3. And, I've got and, a theory. I've got yeah. a theory about that. Karate Kid 2 was filmed in Oahu, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe Ralph on his, you know, he was channeling the, the moments of being in, in Hawaii. Maybe he was at a luau offset, you know, one night and they were singing that song and it just got stuck in his head. And he seems like a, a nostalgic kind of guy. So maybe that's, I'm going to say that's why he did it. Okay. So my five, my number five is also from Karate Kid 3. It is when Daniel is brought to the Cobra Kai studio by Terry Silver for the first time and reintroduced to the Cobra Kai way of fighting. It's a moment where uh, it, there's a silly scene where, where uh, Terry Silver goes, I call it Quicksilver, you know, this technique, right? And, and, and uh, Daniel like smiles and Terry, Terry goes, Oh, you like that, huh? <laughs> He's got this look in his face like pretty clever. I'm gonna yeah. bury you, you know? Yeah. And in and, and the audience knows, the audience knows exactly what's happening at this point because we, you know, early in the movie we're we're, we're made aware of of who Terry Silver is and his connection to the franchise. But Daniel doesn't know. Daniel up to this point trusts him and think that thinks that he's, you know, this old war or old war veteran that he's gonna help out or who's mentoring him. It's just a brilliant scene, in my opinion, that when Silver, you know, tells him to sweep the leg and you're like, oh, shit, is he going to do this? Is Daniel going down the dark side? As a, an impressionable young kid, when I saw this movie three times in the theater that summer, because it was the only thing that I could see for like two bucks or whatever, um, that, that scene stands out to me clearly. So that's my number five, the introduction to Daniel going down the dark side of Cobra Kai. Ready to move on, Mr. LaRusso? You ready to move on? There are three things that make a champion. The three Ds. Desire, devotion, and discipline. The first two I can't give you. The last one I can, but you have to be willing to receive it. Are you, Mr. LaRusso? Well, sure, sure. <laughs> the response you're looking for is yes, sir. Well, right. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. That's okay. Stand up straight. Now, over the years, I've developed a system of intensive short-term training for situations just like this. It comes in two parts and has three rules. I call it Quicksilver. That's good. You like that, huh? Rule number one. A man can't stand. He can't fight. Repeat it. A man can't stand. He can't fight. With conviction, Mr. LaRusso. A man can't stand. He can't fight. Good. All right. Imagine these two by fours are legs. Sweep them. What are you? <laughs> That's too low. And any higher, it'd be like hitting the knee, right? 
Did you come here to teach or to be taught? Yeah, he's an old war veteran from Vietnam, by the way. Yes. Like, how old was he when he served? That they served time. together. When he served together, he's like, Greece, I owe you for saving my life in Nam. Like, what? It's like a 16 year age difference, guys. What's going on? <laughs> well, as we there see we in Cobra Kai, the, the latest season, season four of Cobra or Kai. Or as we went, don't see in my case. Well, in your case, yeah. <laughs> um, Thomas Ian Griffith looks fantastic for his age. And the dude looks just happy to be there, right? He looks happy to be there in, in uh, Karate Kid 3, too. So. Well, and of course, as we all know, he's younger than Ralph, which is weird. Yeah. Um, but to your point on that scene, yeah, the way he says it is super cool. Like, how cool is he? Because usually he's over the top in three. But in that moment, yeah. he's just like, yeah. You like that? You know, it's like. Yeah. It's so true. So yeah, it's, it's so it's, true. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a cartoon for most of the movie. And then yeah. he's. Yeah. And when he's not a cartoon, you're like, that guy's great. It, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Right. Yep. Love that, dude. All right, Derek, what's your number four? Your number, number four. four. Okay. Um, this is a toss up. In part three, oh, when uh, he goes, <laughs> so great. he goes, now, will you train me? And Miyagi goes, I now Miyagi train you. That moment, and then because in literally crease and silver are just going ha, 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 like with pain all over them, right? He just got their asses kicked, right? That moment where Miyagi turns and realizes if I don't train him, <laughs> this will never stop. <laughs> so it's just this moment in the Cobra Kai dojo. Will you train me? I now Miyagi train you, and then they go into the training montage. Yeah, that yeah. moment. Again, yep. chills yep. on the back of my neck. Yeah. Whoa. You think this is the end of it all, man? I'm going to open Cobra Kai dojos all over this valley. Hell, I might even teach for free. From now on, when people say karate around here, all they'll mean is Cobra Kai karate. John Priest's karate. You won't even be a memory. Yes, he will. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> now, will you train me? <laughs> I... Miyagi train you. Come, waste time here. This clown show is laughing. This old man just kicked both of their asses. They're covered in paint and they're just like, you're like, why are you guys laughing? What's yeah. so funny? It's weird. Like, you yeah. just got destroyed. Yeah. But then Miyagi's like, yeah, I'll train you now. And it's just like this, it's a turn into Act Three yeah. that's like so cinematic. The way yep. he says it, yeah. My feeling too is that they they feel like um, I, I'm you know I'm going to go deeper into the storyline than they probably even developed. But my take is that they feel they had already beaten him down so much at this point that he's got nothing left in the tank, and that their bad boy Barnes is going to take him take him down to you know win the title eventually. So that's my own two cents. But and it just made the movie that much better because of that. So <laughs> yeah. yeah such a crazy scene like it's just awesome it's a great scene it's a great scene it is it is it is awesome it's like unexpectedly awesome what's your number four dustin so uh, my number four kind of piggybacks on the, on on derek's which is in the middle of his championship out against mike barnes daniel has this is just overcome with the fact that 
not only am I going to lose, but I, I, I'm terrified. And, and he's kind of on the ground and, and, you know, Miyagi's just trying to focus him. He's like, stop your fucking Dan- stop being a Daniel. You know, your yeah. roots are strong. And he says, it's okay to lose to opponent. It's not okay to lose to fear. That to me is kind of the whole movie right there. Mm-hmm. Like, cause the whole movie is obviously, you know, as we discussed, it's flawed, but you know, that's such a great message it's, that anyone can apply to any aspect of, of their life. Cause it's really that, you know, what's, what's really going on in a given situation when you're feeling fear, anxiety, et cetera. And don't, don't let the fear uh, overtake you. And it's so cinematic with Conti's music hitting at the right spot and, you know, the two fingers, you must focus. And just, it's this whole, I agree with you. It's like that, that might actually be the most cinematic part of that film. If you think about it, totally that that single moment. Um, I, I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I do have a problem with it. It's like, why is he afraid that he might get punched with light contact, but he just fought for his life. Like not too long ago, it doesn't make sense. He was in a life and death battle. True. Like less than it wasn't that it was like yeah, it really was like two months ago. <laughs> right. He was fine with that. He was totally fine. Yeah, he was totally fine. I mean, you're absolutely right. I was thinking the same thing too. It's like Mike Barnes is not. There's nothing really scary about him other than the fact that he knows where you are at all times in your life. <laughs> like wherever you are, he shows up. You're on a mountainside. He's there. You're at home. He's there. Everybody, by the way, this is just a, a quick aside, but everyone goes into fucking Miyagi's yard. Like everybody across the whole fucking trilogy, the mailman, you know, into is just like, hey, like who does it? Why doesn't anyone go to the front door and like knock? You know, it's very invasive, I find that just everybody's, hey, just in the neighborhood or whatever. And with conviction. Yeah. yeah, the way Mike yeah. walks as it's planned, right? Him and Terry, but the way he right. just walks through, it's so funny. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Like funny in a good way. I love it. Right. Love it. Yeah. Hey, what's up, shithead? Uh, you're in my yard. I don't. <laughs> that's kind of weird. How do you know where I live? Who the fuck? Like, what? What is this? Yeah. I just love the fact that we've all brought up like what three moments now from Karate Kid three in our top five. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. I can guarantee you my number four is not from Karate Kid. My number four is from Karate Kid Part 2. It is the beginning of Karate Kid Part 2, which is post-tournament in the parking lot when John Kreese, played by Martin Cove, uh, confronts, well, he's beating the crap out of Johnny, and Miyagi approaches and and defends Johnny, basically. And Kreese punches, uh, not with one fist, but both fists into glass. And if you want to know the full story about what happened in that, go watch Derek's documentary, King of the Underdogs, because there's a great reveal that I didn't know about, um, about that scene. But that, that scene for me is, is impactful because I feel like it was the death of Cobra Kai 
that was it. Cobra Kai was done officially. Could have been completely done up until years later when Cobra Kai on Netflix or actually YouTube when it first came out. So that's my number four is the scene when Miyagi confronts Kreese and they have their final showdown. Mercy is for the weak. We do not train to be merciful here. A man face you, he is enemy. Enemy deserve no mercy. Yeah, that's good. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to nitpick or to, to quote Derek Steele, your thunder. But Kreese doesn't fight him. Doesn't no. that bother you guys? Like he just like punches two windows and then he's like on his knees. You're like, he, this guy would be clawing out Miyagi's eyes if he had to, you know, he'd be like headbutting. And so that's always been like a little thing to me where I'm like, and because they just repeat that scene at, in the previously on, you know, of, of, uh, of three, you're like, ah, man. Anyway, sorry, Derek, I know you were going to say something. <laughs> oh no, I, you have a good point. It's like, I hit this window, then I hit this window. I'm on my knees. Yeah, but it's still a great moment. And uh, Zach, Zach, you have a, it's a wonderful moment. This was planned. You guys can shit out in all you want. It's okay. (laughs) No, no, no. It's it's like, it's the moment. It's so cool. Like you said, you you find out a lot about it in in the documentary. Um, To me, that's like one of those moments where it just, it, it, it sets up how, brilliant Miyagi is you know like and how restrained and how like it's just just an iconic moment and the way the Cobras are like kind of just in the background like defeated it's just such a wonderful moment um I love it yeah I I think too I think uh an important thing to point out as well this is very much a karate movie like Rocky is a boxing movie where it doesn't go down like that in if this was a legit martial arts movie and there have been many since uh where these guys are super trained and 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 fully proficient it would be a different story but it's a drama and it's 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 less about the martial arts and it's more about all the interaction and the relationship all these characters have which is so beautiful in my opinion and yeah that scene i agree has definite moments where i'm like oh that's all crease did was blow out his fists and and that's it and he got a honk for it but 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 then (laughs) in the whole in the whole broad spectrum of it you're like this dojo is dead now like why would anyone want to sign up actually this is to your point dustin why would anyone want to sign up to cobra kai when their sensei is such a cheese ball that all he can do is punch two they don't and and then that's it yeah like that makes total sense so there you go cobra kai did die then yeah, it, they did. did. Yeah, he was officially he didn't have dead. students. Not only was he attacking his own students, but yeah, he was a cl- yeah clown show. He's a clown. Um, Derek, we're on to number three already. What's your number three? So my number three is another outside the box moment. Is in the Karate Kid one. It's and I I still use one of the lines from it to this day. <laughs> Oh God, I'm geeking out today. Thank you guys. Um, You're welcome. When Daniel, <laughs> when Daniel's leaving to go to his first day of school, there's like a close up of Miss LaRusso scrambling the eggs. Daniel walks through. He's trying to. He's got sunglasses on. He's trying to just get out the door, right? And Miss LaRusso is like 
you know, sit down and eat. And, and Daniel just like rushes and like put some food in his mouth and just grabs some OJ and drinks it real quick. And he's just like trying to get out the door and he just starts kind of like arguing with her, you know, he's like, no, I'm high on minute Maid, mom. And, <laughs> and she's like, why won't you take off the glasses? Come on, take off the glasses. He's like, come on, mom. Take it. And she goes now. And she does her finger like down and the way she goes now. And he's just got eggs in his mouth and OJ. And he's just like the way he takes his glasses off and he's got the shiner. I don't know why, but to this day, like when I'm like talking to a chick or something and she has brown eyes, I'm like, okay, maybe not like a chick, but like a girlfriend. Or something. <laughs> I'm like, and she has brown eyes. I'm like, let me see those baby browns. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what his mom says. Yep. Let me see your baby yep. browns. You always hear baby blues. You don't hear baby browns. A hundred percent. And it's just that lot. It just stuck yep. with me. So, and I, I just, I think brown eyes are pretty on a female. So I'm like, oh, I like your baby browns. I'm totally stealing that from Mrs. Yep. LaRusso. That's awesome. Totally. That's so awesome. ladies, you, you now know that I told, I stole that from Daniel's mom. <laughs> it, it's, it's so amazing. I can remember watching Karate Kid in the theater. I was eating Starburst. I had finished the Starburst before they had even moved into the new place. And I was very sad because I had already eaten all my candy. Wow. But I remember that, that moment too, of being like, what the hell is baby Browns? Like, what a weird thing. It's, it's totally stuck with me in, the, in that exact same way. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm not the, the only nope. weirdo out there about brown eyes. Nope. You're not. And my, my wife has brown eyes. And I've always told her how beautiful her eyes are. And it's because Mrs. LaRusso told me so. There you go. She's America's mom. She's teaching young boys how to appreciate the baby Browns. She is. I had a single mom at the same time. And I was just like, my mom could do, would do anything for me, you know, and, and his mom does do anything for him. And, and so bravo to a mom that cares so much about her kid that she wants to see his beautiful Browns. So yeah, yep. that's a great scene. Look, take off the glasses. Why? Because I asked you to. Come on, Mark, California. So look, Take them off. I want to see your baby browns. Mark, come on with the baby browns. Are you right? on something? Yeah, I'm on Minute Maid. That's Why right. are you hiding your eyes? I'm not hiding my eyes. Then take Ma. off the glasses. Come on, come on now. Really? Love that thing. And it's like the first time she realizes, like, there's a problem here. Yep. Like, this isn't good. Yep. I got to learn karate, mom. Yep. <laughs> not at the Y. Not at the Y. <laughs> not at the Y. Not at the Y. Yep. Uh, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, Dustin, what's your number three? 
So number three, I'm bringing it back to Karate Kid 2. I'm so um, glad we're off Karate Kid 3. <laughs> at the moment. Right? At the moment. At the moment. At the moment. Bring it back to uh, Karate Kid 2, the um, the moment of the infamous storm, the, uh, oh. the tsunami of sorts, um, the unexpected storm, and the moment in which Daniel saves the little girl. Um, this is the moment where everything in the movie changes it's that turning point um where sato realizes i've been an ass it's the moment where you realize chosen is actually a coward it's the moment chosen and sato's relationship deflates and it's also the moment where you realize that daniel weighs about the same weight as the little girl um yeah. on this pole and, and you're just, but it's this amazing moment it's like He's going to go get her and he's whipping the belt off and he's getting the sparks away. Um, and yes. And at this point, the tiny village all huddled in. Well, not that the entire village is in there, but a majority of the village is in this, this cement uh, casing, the only, the only safe place in the storm. And yeah. And I just, I just love it. Cause it's, it's, it's like, we're finally cutting through all the bullshit. Cause you're, I know at that point as a, yep. as an audience member, I'm like, why is Sato so mad all the time? It's like almost annoying Yeah. where you're like, really dude. And even in the storm with the two by four is on his chest and he's like, no, Miyagi, you come to like, now you come to fight you coward. Um, <laughs> you're like, no dude, he's clearly not coming to fight you in the storm with this hut collapsed on your sternum. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the best. And we also find out whether or not Miyagi can break a board at that point. Yeah, which uh, right. would probably sh- break his his chest, <laughs> I would think. And in yeah. the score in that scene is phenomenal. That so track, good. I think it's called The Storm by Bill Conti. Um, it is so you good. You think it's called that? <laughs> Let's be- it is on my workout mix. Right. Yeah, yes. I believe it may be called The Storm uh, written <laughs> by Bill Conti in 1984 for while he was eating Wheaties and <laughs> four and a half minutes long. Next time you watch that uh, scene, something that's stuck out with me since I was a kid is you can see the sparks. Um, yes. they, they like linger on the bell, I think it is, or yeah. on the or something that they like linger. And I remember being a kid, like, oh, those are real sparks. I'm going to get into part one for my number three. My number three is, I'm sure, on people's top three lists all over the place, but it is when. Daniel has injured his leg and Miyagi comes into the locker room and he does, he does the infamous clap and slap. And um, that scene to me is so, <laughs> that's Dustin's laughing. The clap that scene and to slap. Me, the, the, the clap and slap. That's what I'm going to call yeah. it. Um, it is so impactful, no pun intended, because Daniel's speech to Miyagi of like why he wants this so bad you know, and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it, why he wants to, to win. It's not about the trophy. 
you know, and it's so much more than that. And, and Miyagi's like, look at him like, all right, I got this one last trick. I'm going to pull out of my bag and I'm going to get your ass back in there and you're going to win this thing. And it is such a kick-ass moment that I think often gets overlooked by the finale. No, Mr. Miyagi. Mm. You think I had a chance of winning? To win, lose, no matter. No, it's not what I mean. I had good chance. Well, can you fix my leg? I mean, with that thing you do? No need fight anymore. <laughs> Just... You prove a point. But what point? That I can take a beating? I mean, every time I see those guys, they're going to know they got the best of me. I'll never have balance that way. Not with them, not with Allie. Not with me. <laughs> Close the eye. That's my number three, and I love that scene. So, thoughts, Derek? Uh, you know, you, I'm kind of getting teary-eyed just thinking about it because it's so, like you said, so impactful. I, I, in the in my documentary, we we show that. And forgive me, I haven't seen my own film in quite some time, although I've seen it a thousand times. Obviously, when you make a movie, but sometimes you kind of just erase it in your head for a couple of years and then you of go back to it and you're like, Oh yeah. yeah. So I haven't seen it in a, in a couple of years, but if I remember correctly, Jerry Weintraub is talking and talks about the magic and that's uh, Avelton's magic. Yep. He sprinkled into that movie. Um, again, I could be wrong about my own freaking movie, but he calls um, it bullshit magic, but still regardless. Bullshit, yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not crazy. Nope. You are correct. Uh, bullshit, but but it's there, and that's Avildsen's magic dust that he sprinkles into the movie. So, what I love about it is like it's so cinematic. Again, you you mentioned the speech leading up to it, and when he does that, I think Daniel or or excuse me, Ralph talks about it again either in the doc or maybe it didn't make it into the doc, but he he, he did tell me when I interviewed him about how like the crowd in the theater went crazy mm, at that yep, moment. Yeah. Like just yep. insanely like, Oh my goodness, what's happening. It's riveting. It's quite riveting. Great moment. It is. I mean, it really is. And again, the score, you know, it, it slowly builds, it slowly oh. builds. It's the perfect amount of tension leading up to Daniel LaRusso's going to fight. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. Derek. Now we're in the, the twos tell us your number two so number two is uh and this this part really means a lot to me and i'll tell you why uh when daniel's giving up working on miyagi's house and doing the chores and his shoulders hurting and he starts cussing at miyagi and miyagi stops and they're in the backyard and he's like show me sand the floor show me all this stuff and daniel's being just a little asshole because he doesn't, it doesn't register yet. Yeah, he's been a teenager basically. Yeah, the moment where Miyagi, uh, I believe the word he says is "show," like "show me." If he's saying something Japanese, I do apologize, but I'm pretty sure he says "show." And that moment where Daniel realizes this goofy little man 
is not joking. And it, you see Miyagi go from this lovable man to a teacher, to a sensei. Yeah. Like, yeah. do yeah. what I'm telling you right now. And Daniel starts to change. And that's the first time we really see Daniel, like, realize this is it. And he does the stuff. And Miyagi's like, and he, like, has him yeah. do it yeah. appropriately. <laughs> And then, no, 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 no. And then he slaps him on the head and he's getting frustrated yeah. with this kid. Guys, that was John Appleton. Yeah. That was John Appleton, how he was to throw it back to John. He would, he would mentor you and he would get frustrated with you. And when I watched that scene, it reminds me so much of John. Oh, that's cool. And, 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 and I'll, I'll never forget my grandmother. One reason why this means a lot to me and is my grandmother that was like her favorite scene because she just knew that that was where the boy starts becoming a man. Not yet, but he's, he's getting there. So that that's my number two uh, really has stuck with me my whole life. Now show me wax on, wax off. Hey. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey. Wax on, hat. Wax off. Hat. Concentrate. Look at my eye. Lock a hand, thumb inside, wax on, hat, wax off, hat. And look, I always look, I come back tomorrow. That's beautiful. It really is. It really is. Because also you're talking about one of the most pivotal scenes really in cinematic history. It's, it, yep. it, you know, in the same way that people know wax on, wax off. I mean, it's that, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's like, he can say that to a waiter. You can say the, the whole, the whole idea of a, a teenager or anyone being stubborn and being like, I don't want to do this anymore, but the real lesson is something else entirely is so profound and and really mind-blowing and so yeah it's that's i mean i'm sure there are other moments but that's one of those moments in movie history where you're like holy shit like that was a a, a teaching moment disguised as something else entirely and then when he comes when after that and he, and they bow and in the way miyagi comes back to being this and he goes come back tomorrow it's just like, yeah. whoa, yeah. whoa. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, and then, and then to Daniel's credit, he like stands there. He doesn't just run home. He's yeah. taken in by the impact. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Miyagi walks away. So yeah, yeah. man. Oof. You know, because all he wants at the end of the day is a father figure. Yep. And, um, you know, so many of us can relate to that. And it's, it's such a cool moment because you get the sense of like, no, this, this guy He's not just having to do chores. It's so much more about that. Oh, great one. Great choice. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dustin, how are you going to follow that up with the dance scene from Karate Kid 3? Um, no, actually, I mean, this, I, I'm going to, this is arguably the most pivotal moment of the Karate Kid uh, franchise. And that is the, the moment from, from the first movie, you know, which you, which you do show, obviously, Derek, in the, in the documentary, it is the moment after Daniel wins. and. And they exchange that 
that look. And of course, we, we, we now know that, that that look wasn't in the first movie. That wasn't there. A woman, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease the documentary, but a woman suggested this in a, in a test screening, like that Daniel and Miyagi need to have their moment. And it's that moment. I mean, that brings me to tears every time I see it, where Miyagi is so proud. And is, we did it, Mr. Miyagi. It's like, oh, it fucking, it guts me. It guts me. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that like, that's, that's where we leave that movie. Like, we're just like, th- it's this beautiful relationship of this very unlikely duo of teacher, student, best friends. Uh, and yeah. And it's just like the, 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 the culmination of, of everything that, that he's worked for. We've now beaten the, the bullies. We've, we've overcome our own fears. It's, it's just, it's just so good. And, um, and I appreciate too, that, you know, even though Ralph was, or Daniel was injured, you know, that we really sold that part too. Like he doesn't, it's not like he's suddenly healed from his leg injury or anything like that, which I feel like a lot, a lot of movies have. like, Oh, we overcome everything. So, uh, yeah. I would say too, that, that, that scene, you know, the finale of best of the best, when all the warriors are sitting around and all this, you know, all the martial artists and they've all gotten their asses handed to them. Um, and, and, and really showing the effects of, of the fight and Daniel, to, to piggyback on what you're saying, he really sells that scene because he does look like he's still in pain. Like, yeah. you know, they're, they're trying to hoist him up and he's like, okay, guys. Right. He's, he's wincing. Yeah. yeah, it's great. great scene so good my number two is to talk about bullies is a very relatable moment on many levels uh in karate kid one and it's the scene when um daniel sneaks into the the bel-air club or the you know the, the country club and he's got his red jacket on with his white outfit and he gets uh and, and daniel he, he sees johnny and Allie. Uh, dancing and then kissing each other or Johnny kissing Allie pretty much mm-hmm. is what happened. And then he gets pasta dumped all over him and he's laying there as the door opens and he's just got spaghetti all over his clothes. And it's such a sad moment. And I'm such a moment of like, okay, this is it. Like no more from this point on this kid has to overcome the odds because up until that point, so many moments he's get he gets his ass kicked he gets made fun of. He's getting laughed at on a regular basis. And this is like the coup de gras, which is so humiliating. And all these rich white people like looking at him and just like, ha ha, who's this guy? And Allie looks at him like, oh man, you know, because mm-hmm. you can only imagine how she's feeling inside. Right. But just from a personal standpoint of just feeling like insecure and embarrassed, you know, there's, there's moments in this movie where I see Daniel's, the character of Daniel wearing outfits and he looks like kind of awkward the way he's dressed or his arms are a little lanky and we've all been in that moment of feeling so much insecurity especially in high school and that move that scene kills me to this day where i just watch it and it just guts me and i'm like oh please no more bullying at this point like can we have this kid you know get the comeuppance against all these assholes that he deserves so that's my number two yeah. Does everybody in the country club laugh at it? Like everyone does, right? 
I think so. Yeah. Which is yep. so interesting. Like these old white people finding, <laughs> finding that hilarious. You'd be like, oh, what happened? I think our generation is the first generation to fully get that when someone's walking down the street and they trip, our initial instinct should be, is that person okay? Versus laughing at that person. And I think up until that point in the 80s, there was so much of this like, yeah, that guy dropped all his books, huh? Yeah. You know, and I don't care. You can call it woke, you can call it whatever you want, but just an awareness that how did that person feel when their ice cream fell off their cone that little kid that kid must have felt devastated you know and we're just like hee hee, right so i think it to me it's a moment of like nope this is not okay and and this kid needs to get his you know revenge yeah is he also disguised as a waiter though doesn't he have a jacket on or something well he's wearing his red he's wearing his red jacket he's wearing his own jacket yeah 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 Okay, so he doesn't he didn't disguise himself with a waiter jacket to get no, back there or something. It's a very okay. awkward red jacket. Thinking of Fletch, I guess. And an equally awkward white shirt and pants. Like it, it, <laughs> yeah. And you know, throwing it back to John Avildsen again, again, I, why wouldn't I? But please. I think a more cynical director. Think about this. If that a, a cynical director would have made Ali and Johnny just actually both kiss because yeah, right. seduction and old feelings and they would have kissed. That's right. what a cynical director would do. John made it to where Johnny put the move on her. Yep. So it's that much more sweeter. You love the scene and Allie even more because she didn't just overcome with passion for her ex-boyfriend and kiss him. No, he kissed her and she knocked the hell right. out of him. Right. Yep. And I think, that you know you don't see that a lot anymore you just see like oh we made a mistake because we're human yeah no like yep. she wasn't gonna kiss that bastard right right you know? so yep. um yeah what a great scene and, and uh and, and you're right like how many how many people just would like laugh at something like this kid is absolutely humiliated first of all he has no business being there nope but sneaking back Sneaking back, because remember, he was waiting on her. She was, if I'm correct, she was late. Yeah. Or something like that. So right. he, he went in through the kitchen. And uh, what a great scene, man. Yeah. 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 That's my number two. We are now at the number one. What? The number one favorite Karate Kid legacy moment of all the times. We got there fast. Um, Derek. Okay, well, obviously, I apologize if I steal this from either of you, but the number one for me, and this is going back to my first meeting with John Allison that I mentioned earlier when we shed a tear. And he sheds a tear about this scene in my documentary. So I know that the tear he and I shed wasn't BS. Is when Daniel turns and bows to his sensei. He turns and bows to Drunk Miyagi. The scene where the boy truly becomes the man, to me, is it's Ralph's favorite scene. It's my favorite scene. It was John's favorite scene. As a kid, there are two types of kids in this world. The kids that watch the Karate Kid and are moved by that scene, and the kids that all they care about is the, you know, the tournament. You're the best around. Okay. Yep. That scene is what the Karate Kid is all about. 
I mean, I could say, the, let's talk about the whole scene, but the moment when he turns and bows to Miyagi, and again, everyone listening to this show and watching the show has seen the karate capture, knows that that's the pivotal moment. And it's so special to me because my grandfather was a World War II veteran, and I inherited his little box of goodies that kind of like what Daniel's looking at uh, the newspaper clippings, the medals, things, the dog tags, all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I wear my grandfather's dog tags to this day from world war II, the oh, chain, cool. the metal or the dog tag. I took the second tag off because it makes a lot of noise, but <laughs> it, it, that's how special my grandfather was to me. So I've lived that scene minus him being drunk and passing out. I got to tuck him in. That never happened, but I've had those <laughs> moments with him. And he never put on his uniform. Anyway, <laughs> I've lived it. When I met John Avildsen for the first time, I couldn't hold back my emotions talking about that scene. And I started crying. John pulled his glasses up, wiped a tear and put mm. his glasses back down. And we just yeah. had this moment. Yeah. And he, he chokes up in, in the documentary mm. talking about that scene. It I've, I've, I've made a long story out of this, but it, if I could watch one scene for the rest of my life, even on my deathbed, it would, I would want it to be that scene. Wow. Okay, I'm done. It is beautiful. It is a beautiful yeah. moment. Yeah. It is a beautiful moment. And you're going to ruin it by giving us your number one is the dance scene in Karate Kid 3, huh? <laughs> no. Okay, good. No, asshole. I'm not going to ruin it. <laughs> I am going to ruin it, but I'm not going to give that as my top five moment. Um, uh, I, well, I do want to say too that just to your point, Derek, that it's very interesting that that scene almost didn't exist. Also, like, yeah. And again, everyone watch the documentary. Oh my god. Um, no, my number one is random, and it, and it, it it caught me way off guard, but in a very pure emotional way that I was like, this is it. This is the number one, and it's from Karate Kid Two. And it's a moment where uh, Kumiko is taking Daniel around the, uh, the city, showing him the sights, and they stop at a storefront. And, um, and she's showing him on, on TV. You know, she's like, that, this is what I want to do. And he's like, mm. what, what do you, you want to sell TV? I don't think he says you want to sell TVs, but it's like, you know, it's like, oh, you want to dance, you know, and like fame is on the TV. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, B.D. Wong appears with the best cameo as Kumiko's friend. And he goes, hey, Kumiko, you got to come to this. Uh, you got to come to our party. He gives her a flyer. And guys, if I tell you, I, I squealed with glee at seeing B.D. Wong. I genuinely, like, I jumped out of the couch. Uh, B.D. Wong, I love him from, you know, primarily from Law & Order SVU. He's, like, my favorite. Uh, but just, you know, the freshman, father of the bride. like Mr. Robot. I, uh, of course, Mr. Robot. I mean, Jurassic um, Park. <laughs> so, so many, so yeah. many, you know, the guy, I, I, I love B.D. Wong, but, uh, and he's credited as Brad Wong in this movie, mm. FYI. Nice, nice. Owned by Brad early on. But it was one of those things, this is purely nostalgic of like yeah. me not having any sense of who he was and then seeing him now as an adult in that role, just like this random one line thing. Uh, 
<laughs> and I could not contain, you know, it went, it went beyond obviously all the, 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 the normal things that we know about Karate Kid, just like the standard moments. Um, so that's it. Oh, Coming to the dance tonight. Oh, good. Oh, bring your friend. Okay. Good. See you there. I hope BD Wong watches this and because that how awesome is that? That of out of all of the karate kid, that, that is your moment. And I'm not making fun. Yeah. BD Wong needs to know about yeah. this. That's really random and cool. Well, thanks. If you have his number, I will call him um, <laughs> and play and play this. But no, I'm being I'm being genuine. It sounds um, you know, if, if I had just been like, oh, that's BD Wong, that's cool, I'd be like, all right. And that could so, be anywhere on the sound five, but so you realized it as a kid or after the fact? Like no, I realized it yesterday. Oh, I was wow. like, that's BD Wong. Holy crap. That's pretty cool. So that's that's more of what it what it was. Yeah. I love that. That's I awesome. love that it's I love that it's a moment that it's not cliche. Uh, I don't think any of our moments really are cliche if you think about it. I would think that um, you know, no. I think in the in the in the typical sense, and and it's no disrespect, and it it makes total sense. Karate Kid tournament number one, probably probably for everybody. The final scene of Karate Kid, you know, uh, the final fight, uh, the 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 scene with the Cobra Kai in their uh, skeleton uniforms chasing Daniel, you know, makes total sense. The final fight of Karate Kid Part Two. The, the, the forms that, that uh, Daniel does in Karate Kid 3, you know, which I think is really badass, actually. But I think those are, think those are moments. Or the, the, uh, the, 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 the montage at the arcade with Ali, you know, all these kind of iconic moments. I love that for the most part, most of our scenes are like, oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't see that coming. And especially, I think Dustin gets full points for most jaw-dropping moment of the day. Until you get to mine, which is the dance scene in Karate Kid 3. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. Uh, no, it's not, not, no. My final favorite moment, uh, number one, and it truly is my number one across the board, is the scene, it's, it's Daniel's birthday. And he gets the gi from Mr. Miyagi. Mm. And then I'm going to get emotional thinking about it. And then he, Miyagi takes him outside. He's got one more present for him. And he gives him a car. He says, you choose, right? You pick. And, uh, and Daniel chooses the yellow convertible and Daniel turns to Miyagi and says, you're the best friend I ever had. And Miyagi says, you pretty okay too. And which, which is perfect because instead of losing it and becoming a emotional mess, that delivery of that line makes you chuckle a little bit. Cause you're like, okay, <laughs> it's emotional but also funny at the same time. And it's not just the fact that I've got a seven-year-old son who I look at and I, I say the same thing about him all the time. Uh, it's it's also the fact friend. that he's my best buddy, you know, and, and also craving a father figure in 84 when I saw this movie. So that scene from 84 till now still hits me to this day on so many emotional levels. It's such a beautiful scene um, and as we know, soon after, you know, Daniel's like, look how cool I am in this car. And it, it's, it's so the pacing is perfect because it, it doesn't continue to get emotional. It goes to like kind of a, 
a more dramatic scene with him talking to Allie at the arcade and trying to win her back, sort of, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but that scene for me is is my number one because it just it, it hits all of those emotional buttons. You remember this one about the balance? Yeah. This one, not just karate only. Lesson for whole life. Whole life have a balance. Everything be better. Understand? <laughs> yeah, I understand. You're the best friend I ever had. Are you? Pretty okay too. Yeah, yeah. You know what a beautiful scene, and the the uh, the pretty okay. You're pretty okay too. I've always loved that because this is a grown man who clearly has had best friends in his life. Yes, Daniel has never had a best friend except his mother. So Daniel truly means it. Yeah. But since Miyagi's such a mature man. He means it, but doesn't at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because he's an honest man, you know, and he's more like a son to him. Obviously, the son that Miyagi never had, who you know, his son passed away. So I love that. I love the the dial, the the writing there. Yeah. You know, you you pretty okay too. What an adult thing to say and an appropriate thing to say, I think. And remember the, the key chain uh, was a dog tag. There's this or, dog tag. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and this is after the scene that was your favorite, you know, because now he knows the connection. Yeah. Oh yeah. Gets me every time. Yeah. yeah. I do think too, like most, most scenes nowadays, like if, if, if that scene was directed now, you would have this super high, you know, sweet moment. And then immediately something awful would happen. Yes. Like Daniel would drive the car into a train or, you know, something in the next scene, like he would just crash. Right. Like you just be like, Oh man. Like, cause that's the way that people manipulate emotions. Now I feel like in filmmaking. Yeah, right. Totally yeah. They not. actually, they gotta be clever, you know, and, and throw you off your game. Yeah. And karate kid doesn't do that. It, yep. it, it lets the sweet moment stay sweet. Yep. yep. And that's why we're talking about it in 2022. Yeah, you know? exactly. And even have love for Karate Kid 3 on some level. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm being totally sincere. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, th- this legacy, these, this trilogy uh, sparked what is now a pop culture phenomenon with Cobra Kai. Uh, and that's beautiful that whether you like Cobra Kai or not, the fact that these guys, for the most part, every actor who was a part of this franchise, everybody involved is, has a career again. Uh, or, or continues their career. That's a beautiful thing. So that, and that's a testament to John G. Ableton. Sincerely, it is. You know, it's a testament to the guy where that you covered in your documentary, King of the Underdogs. And it's it's sad that he didn't get to see this. He didn't, you know, he. Yeah. It, it, it that's that's really sad to me. But I mean, he would be so proud. I know that for totally. sure. Yeah. Totally. On our show, we always cover the movie and we cover a song from the movie, but because we're covering all of the movies and we're each going to reveal our favorite song from the Karate Kid trilogy, one, two, or three. Um, 
Derek, you've been starting us off the whole time. What's your favorite song? If you had to choose one song, your desert island pick that you would have to hear on repeat over and over and over again from the Karate Kid franchise, what song would that be? Um, it, without a doubt, the glory of love. It is uh, just, you know, I'll never forget talking about this song with a friend of mine, and we both just agreed it's just magic. It's just magic. That song, I remember when I was three years old, I went to see The Karate Kid 2, and it was the first movie I remember seeing in a theater. And to this day, I can just see on that screen and hear and feel. Dun, 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 dun. And, and Peter Cetera, because they didn't, obviously they didn't start the song, like the radio edit. It's the, yep. the, the, for the movie. And it starts with, dun, 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 dun. and it goes into it. And I can remember as a three-year-old just being like, wow. So the glory of love, it, it's just a magical, beautiful song. And, and both, all three movies have wonderful soundtracks, but. Yeah, agreed. But that's that's the one I got to go with. It's pure magic. For those that don't know, you want to tell a little bit of the backstory, the history, the connection with Rocky Four that this song and that score have? Yeah. So, uh, and, and before I do that, I will say this. Uh, you probably don't know this, but I interviewed one of my favorite bands of all time, Newfound Glory, for King of the Underdogs. Nice. I'm the, the pop punk era. And uh, yeah. they did a cover of Glory of Love. And, and so, I interviewed them. It didn't make the cut, but I have it edited of them talking about the Karate Kid 2 and Glory of Love and their cover of it and stuff. I wish That's it would have awesome. gotten in the movie, but didn't. Um, so we've all heard stories about like uh, for Rocky 3, um, Sly wanted like another one bites the dust and Queen said no. And of course, I the Tiger happened. Well, Rocky or with Karate Kid, no, yeah, Rocky 4. Um, I was told by someone that worked on it uh, that glory of love was being shopped around mm. and that he, it came to this particular gentleman's uh, desk. And, and I'm only not saying his name because I don't, I don't know if he, if I could say his name, I don't know if he would get mad or not, but very nice gentleman. And he, uh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's not Sylvester, by the way, it's someone that worked in the, in the music. Uh, aspect of film and it, it came across his desk and he just heard it and he was like this is this is amazing and he took it to rocky four and they declined it they declined the glory of love for rocky four and what's great about that is it, i'm so glad that for us the audience that rocky four didn't accept the glory of love and that it was used for the karate kid too because literally it worked out perfectly, but can you imagine being that guy going, 
oh man, like how did we miss this? Like that because it was such a phenomenal hit. Well, it it actually it was, and it 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 lasted. It was like on the Billboard uh, Hot 100 for like two weeks. And it, 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 uh, I think it won an award. Wow. Two weeks. That's crazy. Zach. Well, two weeks what? at that time, <laughs> it, it, it got two it whole got, weeks, 14 days. I'm wow. sure it was longer than top that. 100. Huh? It just and it got an Oscar nominated. Yeah, really. it, got, it got Oscar nominated, Golden Globe nominated, uh, the Rocky four soundtrack, which is phenomenal. It would have just been buried, you know, yeah. in that for yeah. sure. Um, and Bill Conti, you know, was supposed to do Rocky four. Right. And then he went on and did karate kid two instead. Uh, like all the planets aligned that song. I mean, no disrespect to Rocky four soundtrack, which is great. But if you were to say, you know, what's a song from the Rocky four soundtrack that, you know, it would take people a minute to think. Hearts of on fire. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> you don't hear hearts on uh, hearts on fire played on the radio to this day on a regular basis, but you hear, Peter Cetera's voice, you know, on a regular basis to this day on every, you know, every 80s retro station or whatever. So, yeah, makes total sense. To this day, you hear Peter Cetera's voice. It was only on for two weeks back in 1986. (laughs) Come on. No, no, sorry. It remained. Okay. I'll edit that. It remained number one for two weeks. And number one for two weeks. Okay. That's a big deal. Right. It was probably on the Hot 100 for months. Yeah, easily. I mean, uh, the whole summer, Christmas vacation, probably. Yeah, yeah. All right, Dustin, Um, what's your number one song of all the times? Wait, one comment, Derek. I want to say, I think you should release your interview with Newfound Glory. I I think you should. I think you should do something with that. Yeah, you should. I I agree. I I feel like just putting it on YouTube. um, Yeah. And just being like, hey, you know, this was. You're you're totally right. It's edited and it's just sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. Give it, give it a, give it a life. Yeah, let, I let think it you're right. Free. Set it free. Yeah, and then slap our logo on it and say that we were part of it. <laughs> right, so, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll double link to it or whatever you want. Oh, of course. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we're family now. We'll, we'll send it around. That's right. So obviously, Glory of Love. It is. It is. It is the one. I would say, uh, other than that, it is the one that uh, from the first movie in the in the dating montage, uh, feel the night um is up there for me what, who's that the baxter baxter robertson you love that song yeah you love that yeah song. that one's that one's really dope and it's just like it's just pure joy it's it's a little ice hockey hockey table you know having a good time can you feel the night it in a montage on our instagram uh when we profile mm. so we do a soundtrack saturday and we have covered all three soundtracks because they all have at least one or two songs that are great and um and that was your choice for karate kid so yeah that makes sense okay yeah good choice good choice pure innocence yeah yeah i have a pure innocent song but it, i don't i don't prefer the way it was used in the karate kid movie 
Uh, I think they reused it in Cobra Kai even better, to be honest with you. Um, but it is Young Hearts by Commuter. It's actually Dave Miranda and Commuter. And for those that don't know, Dave Miranda is a very prolific songwriter and producer. Uh, he helped write I Will Remember You, the Sarah McLaughlin song. Um, Young Hearts is to me, if you would have asked me what my favorite song from the Karate Kid franchise was 10 years ago, I would have said Best Around. Uh, but now, just the nostalgic period I'm in and, 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 and just that feel good vibe. Young Hearts is such like a happy, upbeat pop song. And um, Dave Miranda actually, like someone contacted him and was able to get the original album uh, that he put that song on and put it out on iTunes. So you can hear the other pop songs that he's done at that time they're not as good as, as Young Hearts. I don't think anything, in my opinion, comes close to that. Uh, originally, I was like, no, it's got to be No Shelter. You know, that's, that's got to be my song. But then I'm like, no, what is the song that just gets me up in the morning, makes me feel good? It's Young Hearts by Commuter. Thank God they have that and song. Are, Otherwise, you wouldn't get up in the morning. True. <laughs> God. And those, those, both of your choices are kind of tied in together because they're both the date night. They are. Uh, scene right because young hearts is when he's driving up to golf and stuff and then feel the night is during the day so yeah yeah young hearts is uh young hearts is played when he is making up with Allie uh and you know he has the scene where he jumps in front of the guns he's like ah don't hit me I'm your buddy now right ah what a jerk (laughs) (laughs) he's a jerk he's a jerk her left hook or whatever Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a One Hit Wonder artist with us. And together, we decide if that artist brought the One Hit Thunder or was nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. You can find One Hit Thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun each week. To round out the the, the proper episode of this, and 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 for everyone for everyone, we're going to be doing. Um, uh, what does Dustin know with Derek Wayne Johnson? They will, it will be, what does Dustin and Derek know? It's a Patreon exclusive to see what they know about karate kid. I will be asking them three karate kid trivia questions to test their knowledge of the series. So if you're not a Patreon subscriber, please consider doing so because it's totally worth it. But until then I chose three pop culture moments from each year the movies came out. Well, one, one moment from the three years that the movies came out. And I'll start with 1984. In June of 1984, the same month and year that Karate Kid 1 came out, the video game Tetris was released for the first time. Tetris, of course, everyone, I think it was addicted to it when the Game Boy came out. That was like the first big game that 
But uh, Tetris came out in June of 1984. Were you guys Tetris fans? I was on Game Boy, um, but I didn't even, did it come out in the arcade? Yeah, it was the arcade version that came out. Yeah. Yeah. I have good memories on on the Game Boy playing it, but um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely didn't play it in the arcade. That's a that's a waste of a quarter as far as I'm concerned. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. How dare you? What do you mean? You did? You went down to the arcade and put a quarter in to play Tetris? No yeah. way. No. Yeah, I did. No. I played. Yeah, no. I did. No, come on. I did. No. In 1984? <laughs> of course I did. The first one that came out, I was like, this is fun. What? No, uh, no, no. Yeah. I've never heard of anyone doing that. Oh, well, you're hearing it first for the first time. Uh, fun fact, my wife loves Tetris. She loves that. Yes, that's a great fact. Um, that's an amazing fact. Uh, and and I'm going to give you one more. There's a great retro arcade in Pasadena, California called the Neon Retro Arcade. Um, and you pay like $15 and you can play whatever arcade games you want for an hour. And you don't go down there and play Tetris. That's for I sure. did. I played oh, Tetris. Come on. What is happening? What? Same. What? Well, I don't understand. Well, there's a lot of things you don't understand about me. Okay, Derek, as an aside, if you have a choice of any game in an arcade, you're not going to go to Tetris, right? Uh, you know, Dustin, I'm going to have to agree with you. Sorry, Zach. Oh, I, how I, dare I, you I, guys? I know. I hate to team up, but I've never even seen that arcade machine. But that's no, right. Oh. Cool. I, yeah, I don't take offense. I don't take offense. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own. Right. It's like we got Mortal Kombat here or Tetris. <laughs> uh, I have a feeling this next fun fact from 1986 when Karate Kid Part 2 came out uh, will be uh, something that we all can appreciate. Uh, in June of 1986, Live to Tell by Madonna hit the number one spot on the Billboard charts. Live to Tell. Are you guys fans of that song? I am. Yes. And I'm a, I'm a fan of the movie that it was uh, a part of at close range. Absolutely. Terrific film. Yeah, if oh, anyone's yeah. never seen that, go check it out. Fun, fun little side note. Um, when Sean, Sean Penn revealed this in the, um, his actor studio interview, when he was filming that scene, he yells out, well, actually nowadays uh, it wouldn't work. In fact, you probably would get fired from the set if you do this. But Sean, the, the scene where uh, Sean Penn's character confronts Christopher Walken's character, who's his father in the movie, uh, he pulls a gun on him and puts the gun up to his face, right? Prior to yelling action, Sean yells out, don't give me the, bl- the one with blanks, give me the live one, and grabs the gun and runs right up to Christopher Walken and puts the gun in his face. And that reaction that Mm. Walken has where he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's authentic. And that was that first take. That was pretty good, Zach. 
no thanks <laughs> guys guys you don't put a gun in front of my face <laughs> and i know we shouldn't joke about that now and i'm not joking about it at all i'm no. just saying you know back then so live to tell i love that song dustin what are your thoughts on live to tell you is that one of your would, would you consider that one of your favorite madonna songs that one and uh true true blue no and uh you couldn't even say it <laughs> not your favorite what's that what's that weird one where it's like uh oh jimmy jimmy or like did you guys <laughs> oh jimmy jimmy I'm trying to think of really obscure madonna song oh jimmy john no live what? to tell is great live to tell is great it's a great song yeah all right so my last fun fact about pop culture moments from the karate kid franchise uh june of 1989 same year and month that karate kid 3 was released the Detroit Pistons swept the Los Angeles Lakers to win the NBA final championship. The bad boys. The bad boys. Mm -hmm. It was the birth of the bad boys. Wow. Which lasted for two years. And then they got trounced by the Chicago Bulls. The Pistons at that time, they were like, I always equate them to like the, the LA Raiders of that time. They were like the, the, you know, the bad boys, the bad, like yep. the tough like almost street type guys, you know what yeah. I mean? So uh, again, until Jordan came along and Pippen, you know. I'll tell you what though, I am, I, I now want to rewatch all of the Karate Kid movies. Uh, I want to rewatch King of the Underdogs that our guest Derek Wayne Johnson directed. You guys should all check it out. Uh, Derek, is it available? It's available on Tubi, I know for free, but can people buy like a physical copy of it? Yeah, you can get Blu-ray, DVD. It's it's everywhere. For some reason, it, you can find it on some free platforms, but you still have to pay for it on others. I don't know. I don't handle the distribution, but it's out there. And I appreciate you know anybody that that like picks up a copy and wants to see it because I mean it's just highlighting these great films and this great director that we all loved, even if you didn't know that you loved him. Right. Yep. And, um, <laughs> You know, so and I appreciate you guys having me on and to to talk about it. It's it's uh this has been fun. Yeah, it's been amazing for us as well. What what way can people buy it where it'll get you the most money? Yeah, good point. Oh man, well, uh, and thank you for that. Uh, uh, our distributor is Chassis Media, and uh, they you can have you can find it at, at uh, on their website. I think it's chassis.com, C H A S S Y. Um, so you can grab a copy on Chassis Media, Media, uh, Amazon. You know, it all goes to the same pot. But uh, yeah, okay. It's not like Amazon. Amazon's not taking a little more. Uh, yeah. Taking a little bit more yeah, than, little than, more. than the distributor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put links to the movie in our show notes, so everybody oh. listening just go to our website and actually whatever you're listening to, there there should be a link there. So click on that and order King of the Underdogs. And Derek, you're you're part of the two dollar late fee family now. Guys, I, this was a blast. It's uh, I want to just thank you guys for having me on. I love being a part of the family. You're a part of the family as well. Whatever my family is, you're in it. So uh, there you go. And to quote Frank Stallone, this episode is far from over because over on our Patreon, we're going to have an exclusive. What does Derek and Dustin know about Karate Kid? Karate Kid Legacy. So go check that out. And man, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for just having fun with us and all really? that stuff. And there's more to come, I'm sure, down the road. 
Hey, I'll come back anytime that you want me. So right just, on. Uh, but we'll Love hang it. out when I when I come to LA. That's a deal. Love it. Awesome. Thanks, Derek. All right, guys. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. All right, you too. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the Internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.